You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. So, how many of you guys uh, appreciated uh, Charles' uh, sharing with us last week? That was really awesome. Snaps for Charles. Yeah, yeah. The week before, before spring break. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was really cool just to hear about like what God's been doing in the Philippines and through you and your family. That's super encouraging. Um, hey, can somebody run upstairs and have them turn off the radio up in here? Um, thank you, sir. So, um, uh, t- but tonight we're going to be touching on the uh, the ultimate the topic that everybody that uh, a lot of religious people are like super freaked out about, or just people in general. You've seen how many of you guys? Raise your hand if you've seen a movie featuring the end of the world. Yes. Okay. Somebody tell me your favorite movie about the end of the world. Best end of the world movie. 2012. Was it good? Yeah. Has nobody seen Armageddon? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of them aren't like the focus is that it's the end of the world. That's just the setting. Right. That's true. The day after tomorrow. (laughs) Left behind. Are we talking about the OG 90s one with... (laughs) with, With with Kurt Cameron, uh, or the newer one with Nick Cage, because both of them are instant classics. That's bad. Thank you. I didn't know they tried that again. Yeah, they actually tried that again. Uh, so anyway, um, <laughs> so before spring break, it's kind of an interesting time that we're talking about this. So, um, uh, and I think it's really cool that this year, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, we end up. During Holy Week, like this is the week that Christians celebrate that Jesus was in Jerusalem. Like he went up to Jerusalem on, uh, like last Sunday, we celebrate that as Palm Sunday. So that's the day when everybody celebrated Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And then, uh, uh, then you have Maundy, I guess it's, uh, yeah, Maundy Thursday is tomorrow, but there's a, but the Monday before, the Tuesday before, the Wednesday before. I actually recently purchased a book of prayer from 1662 and I've been reading it and it's, it's kind of cool because like, you read these liturgies that people in these passages of scripture that people have historically read for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, and so it's a big deal. This week is a very big deal. Uh, leading up to, um, of course, this Friday is Good Friday. Um, it is the day that Christians commemorate the death of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, it's where we think about his passion, what he suffered, um, the, uh, the brutality of it and everything was... Uh, all in full display that day. Um, and of course, uh, and I think it's important also to sit in that, that we don't just like skip ahead because as Christians, we want to, a, a lot of people like, they'll talk about like, you know, it's about living your best life now and having and being victorious right now, which there's nothing wrong with being victorious and there's nothing wrong with living your best life now. But if your whole life is about that, I don't think you're grasping the gravity of this situation. Because if your whole life is about that, forget about the Bible, forget about Christianity, grab a pop psychology book, Okay. Grab a self-help book. Grab something that's going to help you with some, uh, you know, go on to self-help channels on TikTok and Instagram and all that. Like you can get lots of great tips for how to have a nice day. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an ancient text, the book of Mark, which was written about 55 AD, 20 years or so after Jesus of Nazareth had lived his life on earth, had died and had ascended into heaven. And so it was an incredible um, moment. And so we're in Mark chapter 13. If you have a Bible, um, you can turn there um, or you can grab your phone and, and turn there. And so uh, we're actually going to be reading out of this and then we're going to see what this is actually about. Because I think it's really interesting that Jesus took this moment 
uh, this is in, uh, he's been in Jerusalem and every day, basically you get this picture that he, he's been staying in Bethany in the house of, uh, uh, it says he's been, he was staying in the house of Simon the leper, which is apparently uh, a good place for him to stay. Uh, it was a, uh, somebody who had opened up their home to him. And, uh, and he's sending that and he's uh, going into Jerusalem by day and then returning at night. So he's going there, coming back, going there. And every day that Jesus is going into Jerusalem, he's teaching in the temple. And more and more religious people are getting upset with him. More and more of the people who are part of the, part of the status quo are getting upset with Jesus of Nazareth because he is shocking, some of the things that he's saying. But what he is about to say today is the most shocking thing of all. And what he's about to say today is the thing that is going to be used against him in the trial that they would set up in order to have him murdered, in order to have him executed. So um, at this point, uh, Jesus was in the temple. And before spring break, actually, actually uh, before uh, Charles shared with us the week before spring break, we talked about how he sat at the offering box and he watched people walking by. And he, there was the poor widow who came and gave two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he told his disciples that she gave more than anybody else. And he was acknowledging her, her uh, generosity, right? Well, now... Um, we're going to uh, get into a passage where he begins to talk about the end times. Somebody say, the end times. But then turn, turn and look at somebody like it's actually the end times. The end times. Right? It's like the end, the end times. Like, everybody's like, for some reason, everybody, everybody's like so like jacked up about the end times. Like, everybody's always talking about like, oh, like, when's it going to happen? And what's the mark of the beast? Now, I don't know about you guys, but during COVID-19, I saw a lot of whack people talking about like, bro, I just... Bro, I got I, I I shouldn't I don't know what I did. I shouldn't have done it. I got the vaccine. I think I got the mark of the beast, man. I think I'm gonna go to hell now. You know, and like it was it was crazy. People were like totally whack about it. But um, this is uh, something where Jesus is gonna, gonna talk about the end of an era in history. And as we go through this, we're gonna see he gives. Uh, it's interesting though that he gives us several commands throughout. I think one of the things you have to be careful of with these passages is that you don't read it and just go, oh my gosh, we're living there now. It's happening. Like, you know, you're just freaking out about everything. And then you become obsessed with the news. And then you start, for some reason, just getting into weird political stuff and like conspiracy theories. Please don't do that. I want to observe very carefully what Jesus said because he gave very, very clear instructions about the end of an era. And so let, let's... Uh, get into that here um before i do a little bit of a story uh i had a rapture moment okay when i was a kid has anybody here had a rapture moment do you know what i'm talking about where are my parents where are my <laughs> where exactly you know what i'm talking about where you i woke i remember <laughs> i don't even remember the, the, quite the circumstances i just remember i i went into my brother's room i read the left behind books okay i was sufficiently frightened of what was going to happen that was that was, that was the first that was the first problem i read the left behind books i knew what was going to happen i went to my brother's room and you know what i found i found his clothes on his bed laid out like this like a pair of pants draped across and then like a shirt laying down and i was like <laughs> that's weird <laughs> Uh, weird. Like it looked like he had been there, and then he just like disappeared out of his clothes, right? If you know anything about the Left Behind books, they were uh, maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, like 25 years ago, this was like really big. Uh, Christian authors Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye wrote this book that's based based on a very specific definition of scripture, where they told it's this this fictionalized universe where 
Christians disappear. They get raptured, right? Jesus comes and he takes all the people who have professed faith in Jesus and they just disappear. Everything, their clothes get left behind, their jewelry gets left behind, their fillings get left behind, everything gets left behind, right? And as a result of that, and hence the title of the book, and then it causes chaos and it's just, it's crazy. I mean, a very interesting like premise for a sci-fi movie, but um, biblical, we'll find out. But anyway, I had a rapture moment because I saw the clothes on the bed and I was like, huh, that's weird. I also noticed that that moment, this cla- the, the house was eerily quiet. And I was like, huh, that's weird. My family's usually around. I'm like 13 years old. Okay. So I'm also highly susceptible to being like fooled. I, I, I'm, very, I'm very like impressionable. And so I had red left behind for kids. And I was like, <laughs> so I go outside and I call for my brother. He's not there. I'll call for my other brother. Nowhere to be found. I call for my mother. My mother is, and this is the thing, you guys. I know my mother is a saint. So I know that if, if Jesus came back and took all the Christians, she would be the first to go. So I know that if I call from my mom and she's out there, I'm like, it's over. I got left behind. I knew it. I wasn't a true believer, you know, and I, I was just like, oh! and I'm just starting to, oh, no. and then, and I, I start like really hollering. I'm, I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. And finally, my, uh, uh, my, mom, my mom came out of the garage. It was like, what are you yelling about? And I was like, oh, Oh, thank God. Okay. Because the garage is like 30 yards away from our house. We live out in the country. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay. I can rest easy now because I know that if my mom hasn't been raptured, nobody's been raptured. It's, it was all in my head. We have weird ideas about what the end of the world is supposed to look like, right? Uh, for some people, it's, you know, the melting of the polar ice caps. And uh, for some people, it's nuclear war. For some people, it's COVID-19 or COVID-23 or whatever, you know. Um, there's all kinds of great science fiction movies premised on this, but here's what Jesus had to say about it. It's really interesting that Jesus, in his journey, in his uh, time in Jerusalem, he decided that now is the time to talk about this. But you'll see why as we get into this. So this is Mark chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter and unpack it briefly. Mark chapter 13, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things take place? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. The, this must take place, place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. For, and, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything 
and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not happened, as has not been from the beginning of the, God, the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone comes to you, uh, says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false prophets and false Christs will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master will return, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our, little, our gathering here, our uh, time that we're spending with you, and we ask you, God, to speak through your word. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And everyone who trusts in Jesus said, all right, the end times. So how many of you guys have ever read this chapter before? Anybody been part of like an end time small group where you're like, we're, we're going to talk about the signs, you know? Sure. There are some denominations and there are some cults that purport to be Christianity that are obsessed with the end times. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of people, especially like if, if, have you ever had the Jehovah's Witnesses visit your door? Um, that's a, a, a branch of pseudo-Christianity that really gets obsessed with the end times. Um, and there's, uh, and there's other, uh, other denominations within Christianity that also get really obsessed with it. Now, but what's interesting about this passage, and we might read this, and I don't know, if you, as you're reading this, did you, ever, did you get any kind of sense of alarm going, yikes, yikes, yeesh. Oh, when you're like, ah, the sun, the, the moon turning blood red and the sun getting darkened and the sky, stars falling from the sky and all this kind of, like, it's kind of alarming language, right? But you know what's interesting is, first of all, we got to consider the context and then we're just going to look at the commands that Jesus gives. Because I think that's the part that he's trying to focus on. He's trying to give his disciples, his followers, some context about the future. I love that God does not want you to be uninformed about the future. Can I get an amen? I mean, God does not want you to live uninformed about the future. And actually what's cool is that he does give us clues. But at the same time, the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. So he's not going to give you a watertight, this is how everything pans out. And on this day, April 4th, 2023, this is going to happen. The Antichrist shall arise. You know, like he doesn't say that. What does he do? Well, first of all, he's speaking of a great and terrible day. This is awful. 
So he taught, now why is this? Because we, we treat, the, I don't know if you read this, if the first time I read this, I treated it almost like a throwaway line, but he's leaving the temple, right? And one of his disciples was like, look, Jesus, look at this great, great building. And now it was huge. The Temple Mount was massive. It was a, one of, some people considered it like the eighth wonder of the world. It was, it was an amazing structure. And he's like, look at all this. And, and a, couple, a few weeks ago, we kind of looked at the uh, basic layout of the temple. It was massive. And he says, just look at all this. Isn't it amazing? And Jesus goes, yeah, you know, um, do you see all this? There's not even going to be a brick left. I t- he's like, truly, I say to you that not, not one stone will be left here upon another. And then he just walks. And then he just drops the mic and walks away. <laughs> now, for you and I, you're like, oh, sad, a building fell. Like he's talking about the end of a building. Big deal. This is not the end of a building for them. This is the, he's talking about the end of a way of life, the way that they and their ancestors have lived for hundreds of years. They all knew that God's presence was in this one place. So if you are going to experience God, or if you're going to know the creator at all, you have to go there. You have to go to Jerusalem. You have to go to the temple. And so Jesus says, oh yeah, it's going to be wiped out. They're like, um, what? Like, every, I think... I don't think you realize that as Jesus is leaving, I guarantee you everybody's stopping, stopped dead in their tracks and just walked him, watched him walk away like, I can't believe he just said that. How could he say that? There, there was, I, I, uh, I was reading uh, some of the historical accounts of the construction of the temple. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said it took like 18,000 people to build this thing. It was a massive construction project. And it was, it had massive courts for different classes of people. And it was more, in a lot of ways, it was more glorious and larger than Solomon's temple in ancient history. It was a big deal. So for him to say that was very, very shocking. So then he leaves and he sits on the Mount of Olives, which is outside of, of Jerusalem. And he's sitting there and then his, his three of his closest buddies and, and one of their brothers, you know, Peter, James, and John, Peter's brother, Andrew, are like, hey, uh, hey, Jesus, what's up? Yeah. Hey, um, quick question. Uh, just about what you said back there. Uh, what, what, what the deuce are you talking about? Okay, when, when, okay, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to panic, but I need to know. How many of you guys are need to know people? When you know that something bad is coming, you want to know. Like, I just want to know details. I feel unsafe unless I know as many details as possible, right? Like, I'm sorry, so I'm, I, I'm, I, if you're speaking literally, we are quite scared right now. So when, because, that's all we've ever known. We actually don't know how to worship God without that thing. So what are you talking about? And Jesus, and I love this, that Jesus, the way that Jesus answers questions, he doesn't always just answer a question straight out. I'd like, so when is this going to happen? What am I going to, what are we going to do? When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? We want details. We would like to have an agenda, preferably like um, double space times New Roman. That'd be great. You know, like we want to know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. But then Jesus, he's this prompts a discussion that covers, it's, it's the longest discourse in the book of Mark. So it's worth paying attention to. This is the point of, uh, if, you, if you've got a red letter version of the Bible, like there's a, this section is like the longest section in all of Mark. It's just like solid red letters. Like you can, you can like physically look at it. Like this is all like solid red letters. So this is a long time that Jesus talks. The longest that Mark records in one sitting. So it's a big deal. And he prompts a discussion that covers the longest discourse here. So this was, this was a big deal. And not only that, but he uses this language that is highly, we would say, apocalyptic, right? And 
it, it's also reflected in the old. It's, he's using highly prophetic language. The Old Testament prophets use this language. Joel two thirty one talks about the day of the Lord, and it says the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Ezekiel thirty two seven says, when I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. Sounding familiar? Zephaniah 1.15 talks about the day of the Lord. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Ah! Right? So, you know, and this can sound very alarming, but I love this. Jesus gives three directives. I just watched an end of the world type movie last night called Finch. It's a heartwarming movie. Um, Tom Hanks. I mean, come on. He's America's sweetheart. Am I right? Love me some Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks of the robot. It's great. Anyway, but in, in that version of the end of the world, there was like a gamma burst, like a, like a solar flare that from the sun that like destroyed the ozone layer. And so now if you walk outside, it's 150 degrees and, the, and you'll inst- your skin instantly fries from the UV rays and stuff. It's crazy. But anyway, he builds this robot though, and it has like three. It has like four directives, and the rob- and like the first directive is: do not a robot cannot cause harm to a human being or inadvertently cause harm to a human being. So like that's the first rule: it cannot break. Right? They gives it these directives. Well, Jesus gives directives to his disciples here, and the first one is this: don't be deceived. He says this in verse five and twenty-one. First of all, in verse five, he says. It's that the first thing he says, they're like, when is this going to happen? And instead of saying, oh, in five days or 500 years or 5,000 years, or whatever, he says, um, you know, many will come in my name saying I am he. He says, be, he's like, don't be deceived. Okay. Many people are going to come in my name saying I am he, and they will try to lead many people astray. And then in verse 21, he talks about false prophets and false Christs. What are those things? Well, a prophet is somebody who speaks in the name of God, right? So if a, a false prophet arises, this is a person who pretends to speak in the name of God, but does no such, no such thing. There have been many prophets that are, have arisen. Christianity does not hold to all of those prophets. Muhammad is not considered a prophet by Christian standards. Buddha is not considered a prophet by Christian standards. Joseph Smith is not considered a prophet by Christian standards. Those are all men who purport, and it's usually men, um, uh, usually men who want power, money, and sex, and they use religion as a tool to achieve that end. You're like, how could you say that about Buddha? Okay, just don't, don't take it personally. I'm just, I just want you to think about it, okay? Um, and uh, it's always, but a lot of time, and, and somebody's gonna, somebody, of course, will be like, Buddha is just a philosopher. He's not actually a religious leader, whatever. You know, the, the point is this, that we believe that Jesus is where the buck stops. So it says, it says as false prophets will arise, and you know, take, take note of this. One of the things that we don't do as Christians is we're, we can be easily deceived. Like, we don't pay attention to this command. He says that you shouldn't... We listen to prosperity gospel preachers all the time who will tell you that if you give money, then you're going to get blessed. And, and if you do really well, then you're going to get blessed. And we listen to people who say all kinds of things that are anti-gospel, anti-good news. Because the good news is that you are far more broken than you could ever realize and also far more loved than you could possibly imagine. The good news is that you can't save yourself, but God can. That's the good news. So false Christs are people who save in the name of God. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the news, but uh, Donald Trump is a savior for a lot of people, and he just got charged on some really filthy charges, right? And this dude, it is insane to me how I've seen people glom onto that man and hold him up like he is the savior of mankind and have justified all of his disgusting behavior in the name of He's our savior. 
false Christ. I'm not saying that he's saying he's the Christ. I'm saying that people have made him into that. You know what I'm saying? And you can do that with any kind of political figure, any kind of leader of a movement. It's, it, and, it's, and it's wrong. He says, don't be deceived. He's like, you got to be wiser than that. Number two, don't get scared. You ever, anybody ever seen Home Alone? <laughs> He's like, don't get scared. You're the man of the house now. Don't get scared. You know, <laughs> click, clack with the BB gun, you know, Kevin McAllister. Don't get scared. Verses 7 and 11, he, gets, he, he clarifies two things that we should not be scared of. One, uh, tribulation. He says there will be earthquakes in various places. Did you guys hear about the earthquake in Turkey, right? It was massive. Thousands, Tur- Turkey and Syria, thousands of people died. It's, it's been awful. There will be earthquakes in various pla- places. There will be famines, right? There will be wars in various places. Just look at Ukraine. There's all kinds of things that are happening, uh, wars that are starting, famines that are, that are ravaging different places. There's all kinds of uh, difficulties happening in the world. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those things. I had a friend one time, we were, walking, we were walking on the levee over here, and he was like, it was during the height of COVID-19, okay? Now, this was, I'd say, the, the, right when things started, you, do you remember how scary it was? Everybody was freaked out. We were like, oh my gosh, like, if I get it, I could die, or like, my grandma's going to die, or something, if I, you know what I mean, if I get it. People were legitimately scared. And I remember a buddy of mine, he's, he's, not a, he's not a Christian by any stretch, but he came in, he, he asked me, he's like, dude, is, the, is, this, is this the end of the world? Because it was that scary. You remember this? He was like, he's like, dude, like, I'm, it's kind of actually freaking me out. Like, everything's shutting down. Like, society has ground to a halt because of this disease. Is this the end of the world? I was like, that's a fair question. I mean, it, it is. I was like, and I quoted to him from this. And I was like, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, but it certainly looks like birth pains. Uh, it looks like the beginnings of labor. And for those of you guys who know, like, it's not like Hollywood if, if you've like giving birth, yeah, giving birth is a long process, am I right? Unfortunately, longer than it feels like it should be in a lot of cases, right? It's agonizing. Yeah, I know. Women are heroes, am I right? So um, mothers, you guys are, that's why, that's why we, uh, us dudes, you should love your mom because mom is number one. The pain, my mom always tells me that on my birthday. And now I'm going to tell you the story of the pain. No! Um, <laughs> Don't be afraid of tribulation. Secondly, he says, don't be afraid of trial. Now he tells his disciples, he says, you are going to stand before governors and kings for my sake. Now this is the part where we get lost because we go, oh, well, like the end times are here. The end times are here. I'm sorry, time out. Are you being brought before a governor or a king to bear witness before them? Are you, are you being brought before an authority figure who's going, do you believe in, that Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead? Yes? Okay, we're throwing you in jail. Do you believe that Jesus is alive, that the Lord Jesus is alive? Do you believe in the exclusivity of this God? Yes, I do. Okay, we are throwing you to the lions. Are you facing that? No. Jesus is speaking to guys who are literally going, now I want you to think about this. He's speaking to guys who are literally going to face this. Out of the 12 apostles who followed Jesus, church history tells us that 11 of them died martyrs' deaths. Well, one of them by suicide, sorry. But that means, so one of them died by suicide. Ten of them died martyrs' deaths while they were young. James was thrown off the Temple Mount, right? Uh, the, another, the other James was killed somewhere out in India. Peter was brought to Rome and crucified. And his only request when he was crucified was that he'd, be, that he'd be crucified upside down so that he did not imitate the death of his own Savior. The Apostle John, they tortured. They dipped his entire body in oil and burned him alive, but he didn't die. 
and then he wrote the book of Revelation. So thanks, John, for staying alive. Um, so these guys are going to face legit trials. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Now, this is something that still carries, that you still need to be aware of today. He says, don't be afraid of what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will speak through you. It's not going to be you who speaks. He says, speaks, speak whatever comes to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. You know what that means? That means that no matter what happens in your life, no matter where you go, no matter who you face, no matter what you have to say, no matter what you have to hear, no matter what you have to endure, God's presence will be with you if you trust in Jesus. He promises right here, the Holy Spirit will be with you. What an amazing promise. He's saying that you can hang on to that no matter how difficult life gets. Don't be scared. So don't be deceived. Don't be scared. Number three, he says, stay woke, fam. <laughs> stay woke, fam. Now, we, we hear that word woke and there's a lot of political implications with it. But the, uh, and it really that term kind of originated in the African-American community for the, this idea of seeing the, a wider conspiracy, a wider net of conspiracy and seeing that there has been an ongoing, ongoing efforts to exterminate a culture, right? However, he's saying, when I say staying woke, it was stay woke. This is the original stay woke right here. This is Jesus talking about what it means, being alert, being aware. So many Christians, we, we are not aware. Christians, I, I, I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes Christians are the most gullible people I've ever met in my life. Where I'm like, do you have an ounce of common sense about you? So when somebody says, I need that $5,000 for my G6, you're like, okay, you give me the money. I'm like, common sense, no. Is he your pastor? No, he's some dude on TV in a suit who promised you something. Don't give them money. Are you for real? Oh, I just, we have to vote for Trump because if we don't, then the world's gonna end. Are you for real? He's a human being. And he's not even decent. Like, uh, how, I, what, come on, grow up. Grow up. Get woke, fam. Like, get, wake up. Jesus is like, stay, he says, <laughs> so he's saying, don't worry about this because you're going to have, this is what you need to be aware of. You need to be ready uh, for uh, answers for authorities, okay? In verse 9, he, he said, uh, let me look at this real quick. Yeah, I got, verse 9, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So he says, you're going to have to have answers for authorities who are both religious and political. Standing before councils and synagogues, that's like he's talking about Jewish religious leaders. And these guys would stand before synagogues. You want to read about it? Peter and John themselves were beaten in a synagogue. And you can read about it in the book of Acts not long after this. Like it literally happened within their lifetime. Okay. Hang on to that as well. And he says, the, and then he says, and also political figures, you're going to stand before kings. We know that people like the Apostle Paul would stand before King Agrippa and plead his case that he was innocent of crime, right? There's all Christians have had to stand up to this for a long, long time. And it's in this country, not necessarily. What do we do? We just protest ah, when something goes wrong. But in a lot of places, Christians have to face government authorities where there is a very real threat of pain or death. Then he says, um, be aware uh, for safety, where he says, uh, when that day comes, and we'll talk about what that day means. He says, when that day comes, I want you, don't even go down into your house. Don't take none of your stuff. This is a fire drill. You get out of the house. You don't take the computer. Don't even take the iPhone. Just go. If you're out in the field, don't even pick up your cloak. Just, just run for it. Head for the hills. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants. I had somebody one time talk to me about this passage, and she was legit freaked out because she's like, I really, really, and, and I remember th this girl, it was, it was after a Regenerate meeting, she came up to me and she was like, I really, really am afraid. 
legit afraid of getting pregnant before Jesus comes back because I'm afraid that he's, you know, like I'm afraid that I'm going to be in danger. And I was like, hold the phone. And I'll explain why. <laughs> he says, you should be aware of your safety though. Okay. Uh, when there's danger, just get away from danger. Also be aware of those false, again, be aware of those false Christs. You need to, how can you be aware of a false Christ? By knowing the gospel. Do you know what the Bible says? Many Christians don't. The majority of, of uh, 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 a lot of polls now say that most Christians have not even read the entire Bible. Can I challenge you with something? Read the whole Bible, cover to cover. You want to know the words of God? They're right in front of you. They are there. You just refuse to read them for one reason or, for one reason or another. Right? We make up all kinds of excuses for it. Read it. Get to know it. And get to know the good news that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And anybody that tries to tell you that you need to work harder in order to gain God's approval or anything that tells you that the Bible plus something else is what's going to get you eternal life, forget about it. It's a joke. So, and then he says, be alert for Christ's return. And he gives us this image of somebody like who's hired to take to watch over a household, right? And he's like, I want you to stay awake. Stay woke, fam, because you don't know when he's going to come back. It could be like he comes back at when, in the evening time or maybe at midnight or when the rooster crows, which must be like, I don't know, 5 a.m. Uh, any 5 a.m. people here? Cool. You're going to be able to stay woke when Jesus comes. Uh, and then, <laughs> uh, or, when the, or in the morning, and he says, lest he comes suddenly and find you asleep. Now, the implication is if he's, he's going over the night watches, right? The night watch takes effort to stay up for. It takes intentional paying attention to know when the master is going to return. And I think he did that on purpose. Now, you're like, okay, so we got to be ready. So don't be deceived, right? Don't let anybody like try to uh, preach false ideas at us. Don't get scared. I promise don't be scared. I'll be brave. I will do that. Number three, stay woke. I'm going to be so woke. I'm going to like read the Bible so much and I'm just going to like pour myself into it. Wait. Then we hit the brakes. Because then... Look, it says, it says in verse 30, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Wait, what? I say to you, this generation, so I assume he's talking about the people around him, they will not pass away until all these things take place. Oh, you guys, we've got to throw out the Bible now. He's talking about stuff that, that hasn't, that, because what's the narrative? Oh, that the end, that G, he's talking about the day when he was going to return to the earth. Now, we know in retrospect that Jesus died and he ascended into heaven. And then he, but he's promising here that he's going to return to the earth. So we're like, did he return before all these people died? Am I, just, am I just stupid for believing in this book? I can't believe I've been so ripped off, you know? And that is, let me tell you something, that is the enemy's narrative. The enemy's narrative is, and I, I owe a lot of this to my, uh, one of my professors at Western uh, Seminary, Gary Bashir. He said, that's, I remember sitting in a session with him where he talked about how that's the enemy's narrative is to tell you that you cannot trust the words of your God. He will say, he'll, you'll look at, he'll take passages like this and go, see, your faith is not reasonable. This, this book disagrees with itself. There's all kinds of like contradictions within it. You can't believe it. Throw it all out. But we need to think, consider the structure of this. He describes the fall. First, he talks about the temple being destroyed. And then he talks about um, the, and then, and then he also talks about the day of this or, horrible, awful day where the stars are falling, right? And I told you, showed you some, some of that language from the Old Testament. But you know what that language is talking about? Like, for instance, in, in Ezekiel 32, 7, it's talking about the fall of Egypt, a mighty kingdom. Now, is Egypt still there? No. 
So when Ezekiel told, said that the stars would be falling from heaven, that it was going to be a day of darkness and devastation for Egypt, it actually happened. That kingdom did fall to the empire of Greece. It actually happened. So what is Jesus doing here? This language, he's, he's pulling from the Old Testament. He's not talking about a day when stars are literally falling. We read the Bible and go, the stars are actually going to fall. No! He's talking about, he's using prophetic language to paint a picture of a day of destruction. This was hyperbolic language that the prophets would use to describe a day of woe and devastation. And it's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's like the stars are falling and all this stuff. We can't believe that this has happened, right? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the end of an era. Not the end of all time, but the end of an era. Josephus describes for us, and he said, he told his disciples, there will not be left here one stone upon another. Josephus, an historian, says this. This was in, in he's describing what happened in A.D. 70. Okay, So after the book of Mark was written, about 15 years after the book of Mark was written, many of these people were still alive, and, it said, and he describes the destruction of Jerusalem because the Jews rebelled against the Roman Empire. They decided to, they finally had enough. They decided to fight against the Roman Empire. And so Emperor Titus came rolling into Jerusalem and he obliterated it. But for all the rest of the wall, said Josephus, it was so thoroughly laid, even with the ground, by those that dug it up to the foundation, that there was left nothing to make those that came thither believe it had ever been inhabited. This was the end which Jerusalem came to by the madness of those that were for innovations, a city otherwise of great magnificence and a mighty fame among all mankind. Jerusalem was obliterated. Hundreds of Jews were crucified outside the walls. Women went running for the hills, just like he described. It was a day of calamity. You, you could not stay in your house when the Romans come to obliterate your city. You leave. You get out. It happened. The only apostle who outlived Jerusalem was John. It happened. God's word is true. And then he said, but he's talking about another day as well, because then he makes a transition. He says, but concerning that day, no one knows. That day. What? Why does he say that day? Because there's another day. He's like, he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. And then he says, but concerning that day, the other day, when, I, when the Son of Man comes, he's talking about two different days. That day, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, uh, but only the Father. And that's why you got to stay woke. <laughs> that's it. And then he says that, but this is the good news. So you might go, so this, so this day is still coming. There's still a day of the Lord that we look forward to. But a lot of us look forward to it with fear and trepidation. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to stay awake. But I don't want you to stay awake like somebody who's like, <laughs> I want you to stay awake like a kid stays awake at Christmas. Any of you guys ever stay up, to, stay up as late as you could because you knew Santa was coming? You're like, I'm going to see him. This is going to be the year that I'm going to see Santa. And you like, try to stay up, and then ah, you just can't do it. You missed him. Jesus is saying, stay awake like that. Stay awake because there will be a day that I come back and I make everything new and everything right again. There is a day, and it talks about it in the, in the book of Revelation, when God will come back and he will, and every tribe and every tongue, distinct and yet united together, will worship him together, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And, ev and I like the way that my, that my daughter's little uh, picture, book, picture book Bible puts it, everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. The day that Jesus returns. So wait for that day. And don't wait for it like somebody who's scared to death of it because you're like, Jesus is actually going to come back. And it is a freaky idea, right? But at the same time, he's trying to inspire in them, 
wait for me. No matter how hard things get, you hang in there. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Just be wise about what's going on around you. Don't listen to the words of false prophets. Don't listen to the false gospels. Listen to the good news of me. Listen to the good news of my life, my death, and my resurrection. And when I return, I want you to be waiting for me like a kid is waiting for Santa to arrive on Christmas. That's what I want you to wait for me with. Because he said, if the Lord had not cut short the day, then no human being, the word there is sarks, no flesh, no, no uh, living thing would be saved. And this is the good news. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. You can be glad that you don't have to wait that long for Christmas Day. Jesus' disciples, many Christians believe he's going to come back on Thursday or something. When he said, like, I'm going to come back. They're like, like, next week? No. But the good news is that Jesus is coming back and we can eagerly wait for it with anticipation. You don't have to wait for it with fear. But just remember that your job is simple. Your job is to, first of all, don't be deceived, don't get scared, and stay awake. So, tonight's questions are pretty simple. One, where do you see the good news in this passage? Two, what has really confused you about how people have explained the end of the world? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.